Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read uh, down through verse 18. Good little chunk there. I guess I'm going to read through 15. Through 15. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and her many, uh, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's pretty impressive. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some of it fell on the rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, he's quoting the Old Testament here, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Then Jesus said, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on in their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Ah, For many of you, this is a familiar parable. If you've been in church for uh, some time, you've, you've probably read it. If you did the gospel reading plan with us from... Uh, the beginning of January through Easter, then you read it three times because it shows up in all of the synoptics. You can read it in Matthew. You can read it in Mark. You can read the version of it here in Luke. So, so it may be a very familiar parable, a very familiar story to you this morning. My hope, my prayer for you is that this very familiar parable maybe takes on a little new meaning as we seek to understand it contextually. And so to do that, I I have four things that I want to share with you this morning that kind of answer a question for us. But before um, we can get to to that question, um, we kind of need to pause and frame our conversation. I do this occasionally. If you've been here with us for any time, you know every once in a while, I'll say we're going to put a banner statement over our entire time together this morning. And basically, this is a statement that all of our points will we'll point back to and flow from. And so here's the banner statement of this text that you guys need to understand this morning. It's in your sermon notes if you grabbed those when you came in. And it says, God's word has the ability to produce abundant life in us. 
See, if you're going to understand the meaning of the parable, you've got to understand the point that Jesus is making as he's talking about the the seed being the Word of God. You've got to understand that the Word of God has the power to produce abundant life in us. Okay, The Bible says that it is living, that it is active, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It says it always accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Um, It's powerful, it's effective. According to this text, it is the seed from which then our faith, our salvation, our abundance in life will flow. And so we've got to start there. That's that's what Jesus is saying in verse 11. Uh, Verse 11, it says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So understanding that, I want to take a closer look at our text. And again, I've got four things I'm going to share with you. But here's what we're going to look. If, If that's true... If the seed is the Word of God, and the Word of God has the power to produce abundant life in us, then why doesn't everyone experience abundant life? That should be our question. If the Word of God has the power to do that, then why, why doesn't everybody experience it? Why? that? Why? That's, that's what this parable is addressing. This parable is addressing why everyone is not full of joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what this parable is saying. This is what Jesus is talking about. There's a reason that everyone doesn't have eternal life, living water, everlasting life. There's a reason, because not everyone has received the Word of God. And there's a reason why everyone hasn't received the word of God. So let's get into those reasons, and we'll start with number one. First and foremost, some haven't received the word of God because hard hearts and a heartless enemy prevent them from experiencing abundant life. Hard hearts and a heartless enemy prevents some from experiencing abundant life. I'm looking at verse 5, and then I'm going to look at verse 12. And verse 5 in our text is, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Okay? And in verse 12, Jesus explaining, of course, he says, Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. And and uh, contextually, he says, some falls on the path and the birds of the air, they come in and they eat it. Now, uh, this may sound crazy to you, but God is, is after your heart. That's what he's after. Some people think that God, God just wants my o- obedience. Well, friends, you can't obey God without having a heart for God. You just can't do it. You can't do it. And so God has always wanted our hearts. And the reason why we know that is because the Bible says that we were made by God um, to be with God and we were made in His image. And so the story of the Bible as we know it is that there's a God that is all-powerful. He's the creator of all things. And He made mankind in His own image and He made man to be with Him. And, and, and the fact that we're made in the image of God means some things. And one of the things that it means is that we were made to um, feel the way that God feels about things. That's, that, that, that's in, in, in our original creation, we, we were made so that our hearts would beat in line with God's heart. That was the goal, that, that our hearts would feel the way that God feels about things, right? That, that was the goal. This is why David is praised as the true king of Israel over Saul, right? Why? Because he is a man after God's own heart. It's always been about the heart. But when sin entered the world, something happened to our hearts, 
When sin entered the world, our hearts um, began to be desensitized to the things of God. Desensitized to what is right and what is wrong, to to what is good and and what is evil. Sin calluses our hearts so that we no longer feel the way that God feels. And that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, 15. He says, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. They, they, they They don't feel the way they're supposed to feel anymore. They don't think the way that they're supposed to think anymore. They don't see the way that they're supposed to see anymore. They've lost something. Sin has calloused them. Sin has calloused them. That's what sin does. It callouses, it desensitizes the human heart. It makes it hard to the things of God. We can no longer feel the way that we are created to feel. We can no longer feel like God intends us. We are hard to the things of God. And friends, that's the path. The path has been trampled on time and time and time and time again. It is pressed down. It is hard. The word of God can't penetrate that hardness, right? It's, it's, it's that hardness. That seed comes and, and, and it's fallen on this path. And, and, and if it's not bad enough that, that, that our, our hearts are hard, what's even worse is, is that our, our hearts are so opposed to the things of God, but then in addition to having a hard heart, we have this heartless enemy. You notice the birds of the air come to this place, not to the thorny place, not to the rocky place. They come to this place because there, there's, there's truth here, right? And we'll get to this in application that God can even give the hardest of hearts. He can give the person with the hardest of hearts a new heart. And so Satan, uh, the enemy, is heartless here. He knows the power of God's word. And so what is the area, who are the people that he attacks and snatches away every hearing of the word of God? It's these people on the path. It's the ones with the hardest of hearts. Every time the word of God goes forth, Satan will snatch it up. He's, He's afraid. Because it's people like this, that when God gets a hold of them and their lives are radically transformed, that they set the world on fire. Satan doesn't like that. So the first reason that everybody's not experiencing abundant life according to the text is we've got hard hearts. We have a heartless enemy. And he's going to prevent many people from experiencing eternal life, abundant life in Jesus Christ. But there's another reason that not everyone experiences eternal life, abundant life. It's this, shallow hearts and lack of depth prevent others from producing abundant life. Shallow hearts and a, and a lack of depth. So the second kind of soil, the second kind of heart that is mentioned in our text is a rocky soil. And that, that's exactly like it sounds, by the way. A rocky soil. Uh, if you've ever um, been to the hill country, I don't know if you have, but this is the kind of soil you find in the hill country all of the time. I've spent much of my life in the hill country in the summers, um, whether it, whichever grandparents' house, they all lived in the hill country. And, uh, and, and in, this, in, in the hill country, what you see is it looks like, hey, man, that's going to be great soil. I can plant there because there is some soil. But you dig down and you get about four inches in and you're not just hitting little rocks. You were hitting boulders, man. And, and so I, I had one um, set of grandparents that they decided to to move to the hill country and they lived on the Frio River, which was awesome because their house was built and you walked down into the backyard into the Frio River. It was awesome. 
It was awesome. Big, uh, rocky wall kind of canyon where the river had come through. That was their backyard. And, and we would go out in the summer and just like, you'd do everything in the free, which it was freezing cold, but you'd bathe. We had a little rock that the soap was on and you just went out. And as a kid, like you hate to bathe. I'm like, if I'm going to ever bathe, this is the place to do it, right? In a river with fish swimming around me. I was like, this doesn't even count as a bath. You're grabbing the soap. You didn't mind. Well, that was the cool part. The tough part was then you had to walk across the street up the hill during the day and had to help grandpa with his peach orchard because by all means they decided to plant peaches in the hill country. And so we spent our summers helping grandpa get the tractor out and not pry out little tiny itty bitty rocks, pry out massive boulders so that the trees could get their roots down to where the water was. Tractors and pry bars and sweat and oftentimes from the kids few tears when things fell in places they weren't supposed to. It was hard work. That's the kind of soil that Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of condition of the heart that he's, he's bringing or painting a picture of in this parable. Sure, this soil will take a seed. It will. It'll take a seed. And that, that seed will sprout up. It'll sprout up right away. That seed will sprout up and it'll look like, 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 like it's, oh, this is going to be great. But there's going to come a point that as that seed that sprouts tries to get down to water, the water that it needs for long-lasting life, for, for sufficiency, that it can't get past the boulders beneath it and it will wither and die. Because it lacks moisture. This is what Jesus is, is talking about here. He says it. There in verse 6, some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And Jesus says these kind of people exist too. They're exposed to the Word of God. They even seem to receive it with joy. Seems like they've got it, man. They want to be in church. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Maybe they may may even come and like pray the little magic prayer that we say you have to pray. And they might even get wet in a baptistry. But the moment that difficulty comes. They fade away and they never come back. And the Bible would say that that means that they never really believed. That's hard for some people to grapple with. As we studied in the book of Acts, there is a faith that doesn't save. Look at Simon the sorcerer. Okay? It's hard. This text would teach that there are three kinds of soil that don't receive eternal life. There are three kinds of people that don't receive eternal life. They don't have everlasting life. They don't have abundance. Here's the third. Don't you see this morning that crowded hearts are so full of stuff that any chance of abundant life is choked out. Crowded hearts are so full of stuff that any chance of abundant life is choked out. Our secretary this week, she didn't like this point because she didn't like the word stuff. That's too plain. Should say something else. I said, but that's the truth of the matter. There's, there's not another word to put there that would more aptly describe the problem with these people. They have so much stuff in their life that that it, it's, it's choking out the the word of God. Again, this is verse seven and, and verse fourteen. It says other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it, and it choked uh, the plant. Choked the plants. Verse. 12, or 14, I'm sorry. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They can't mature. That third kind of soil, that third kind of heart that Jesus speaks of, uh, called the crowded heart. 
this, this seed seems to have found soil that it can produce in. This, this, this is actually pretty good soil here. Uh, I, I mean, as far as the seed is concerned, the, in, in this soil, it, it's not that, that, that if things weren't different, it couldn't produce. It's just that in this soil, this seed is not alone. See, in this soil, this seed is not alone. In this soil, this seed has to fight for everything it gets. And the problem is there's so much in this soil that all of the other stuff takes all of the nutrients that the seed would need to be productive. It soaks up all of the nutrients and nourishment that it would need. It's surrounded by so many others vying for its place. According to our text, these things actually crowd out the Word of God in our lives. They suck away all the needed resources, time, energy, effort, gifting. They actually end up choking out any chance of real abundant life. And again, the indication here is that this person, like the first two, is not actually saved. It may not sit well with you, but Jesus didn't die, conquer death, ascend to heaven to give ho-hum life. Didn't. Eternal life isn't okay life. It's not. Eternal life, walking in relationship with the God that created you from the point that you receive Jesus um, for eternity. Like it starts when you receive Jesus, not when you die, folks. Wake up. A lot of Christians think it starts when they die. Man, when I, when I die, it's going to get good. No, it got good when you received Jesus. That's when it got good. And it may be tough, but it is good. We've got relationship now. It's good now. Your abundance has started now. It's not meant to start when you die. Now, some of the reward may just happen when you die, but some of it's here too, friends. And hear me, there's abundance here. But that abundance only happens in one kind of soil. And for too many people I know, their lives are just too full of other stuff. Not just sin. See, see that's what this third point is pointing to. This isn't just sinful stuff. This is, this is good stuff sometimes. I know a lot of people, I, I read an article the other day, some parents were astounded that their daughter walked away from the faith. They've been Christians their whole lives. They, they, they said, man, we're raising up our child um, in, in church, we, we, you know, we go all the time. And then they, you read the article, it continues on. We, we were in church, we were faithful church attenders. We were, we were at least there every third or fourth week. When we didn't have softball tournaments or baseball games, when we didn't have extracurricular activities, when we weren't out camping, we were in church. We were there at least once a month. I, I, we can't understand why God's not important to her. It's crowded seed. It's weeds vying. It's the non-eternal clamoring. Which leads to a really good question if you think about all this. If there's three kinds of soil, there's three kinds of hearts that aren't actually saved, that aren't really experiencing abundant life, then my question is then who can be saved, Right? I mean, can we just be honest? Does anybody else feel that way? You read that and you're like, ah, hold on. <laughs> hard heart, yeah, I, I got some of that. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, rocky soil, yep, sometimes that's me. Uh-huh, and, and you go, uh, crowded life, yep, yep, that kind of sounds like me too. Like, so who can be saved, pastor? Which leads to this fourth type. It's really important. I want 
you to see this morning. The last thing I'll share with you. The heart that is eager to hear, willing to change, and determined to put into practice will produce beyond imagination. The heart that is eager to hear, willing to change, and determined to put into practice will produce beyond imagination. The fourth type of soil, fourth type of heart, the good soil, is good because it is not like the other three. It's the, the, the base, most basic definition I can give you. It's good because it's not like the other three. It, it's not hard-hearted um, or set in its ways. It's another way to say hard-hearted, by the way. Hard-hearted means you're set in your ways. It's my way or the highway. I, I don't have room to, I'm not here to take advice from anybody else. I heard the other day, which, which if I believed um, what was said, I would just give up and quit and go, I don't know, work somewhere else. We're talking about church and so we say, oh, I don't really take notes. You know, I, I kind of, everybody already has an opinion about what it means. <laughs> oh, really? Well, guess you can come up here and teach. What I heard in that comment was, I've already determined. Ouch. The good soil is not hard. It's not set in its ways. The good soil is always eager to hear the word of God. The good soil may say, I think I know, but I want to know what God says. I think I'm doing the right thing, but Lord, I want to hear your voice, God. If, if in any way in me I'm stepping outside of your way, then God, rebuke me, correct me, train me up in the way that I should go. That's the eager heart. Always wants to hear from God. Always. This is the good soul. God, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say about this matter. I know what I think, but God, what do you think? I want to do what you say. Second, the good soil is good because it's, it's willing to change. It's willing to change. They ask you, what do you do with rocky soil? What do you do? You change it. Yeah. You change it. You move out all the rock. That's what you do. You have to change the soil. You just have to. You've got to pry up all the boulders. You've got to create room, right? And we'll talk about this. This is a cooperation thing between you and the Holy Spirit. We'll get to this in application in a second. That's, that's the point. The good soil is willing to change. It's willing to always say, like, listen, there's stuff in me that I've got to change. I've got to do something, right? Which, which brings to the last point. The good soil, it's determined to put into practice. It's determined to do what God says. That's going to require some things of you. It just will, right? Because remember, these aren't bad things. It's not always bad things that crowd out the word of God in your life. A lot of times it's good stuff. And so to put into practice what God says means a lot of times we're going to have to trim some things out. We're going to have to cut some fat, some things that are non-essential so that the essential might take root and produce in our lives. We said last week that true worship is costly. It's going to cost you something. Friends, I, I love you, but it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus and to do it rightly. It, 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 obedience is costly. Worship is costly. It's going to take some comfort from you. 
may cost you some money. It, it might take away some time that you're spending somewhere else. It's going to cost you something to invest in the kingdom of God and to see the result of your investment. Farmers don't walk out in the morning and look over fields and say, God, I wish I had some corn. But you know what? A lot of Christians do. They get up in the morning and say, God, I wish, Lord, and I, uh, listen, I love you. I'm not trying to burst your bubble, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit comes from walking in obedience. Go read Galatians chapter 5. Not trying to burst your bubble, but you might as well stop praying for patience. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. Go read Galatians 5. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, which comes by walking in the Spirit, by keeping in step with the Spirit. So you get patience when you obediently worship God and follow Him. And when you're in step with the Spirit, when you're praying, when, you, when, you, when you're being aware of God, when you're seeking His face, like then patience is part of a result because that's who God is. God is patient. God is love. God is patient. He's kind. He's just. He's good. All that, all that fruit of the Spirit comes from actually walking in the Spirit. But most Christians don't want to do that because that means getting up and, and not just praying for corn, but actually having to go plow the field. Right? But we don't want that. We just want the fruit. And it doesn't work that way. I love you, but it doesn't work that way. You actually have to get up and say, I want to be a patient person. Then I've got to read my Bible and I've got to pray and I've got to submit every part of me that is impatient unto the Lord. That I have to go into traffic and pray for the people that drive me nuts instead of cut them off. That's what I'm going to have to do. It means that, that I'm going to have to go through an exercise where I allow my wife to take as much time as she wants to get ready for an event and I don't say a word, but instead I thank God for the opportunity for a few, uh, more than a few extra minutes to worship Him. It means that at some point I just decide that I'm going to walk in the Spirit of God instead of in my spirit, which is sinful and short-fallen and angry at times. Right? You've got to do the work. You can't just wish for the work to be done. But I want you to look at the result. This is huge. This is, I mean, this is crazy, 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 huge. Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and it yielded a crop, A hundred times more than was sown. Uh, Some versions would say a hundredfold. I I used to be good at math in like a former lifetime away. I I mean, I I realized like it was 20 years ago when I was in college, right? Like I've reached that point in life. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Okay? But I do know this. I know most of us work our tails off to try to gain about a 10% return on our retirement. I mean, if anybody's getting 10 right now, they are doing well. You should probably share that information with the rest of us. What'd you do? You pull out of the market? Are you just in gold? Like, what are you, what are you doing? I know it's not in petroleum. I know that's not where you are, right? I mean, is it energy? What, what have you, it's probably healthcare. That's where you're invested. And don't say that because we're all mad at you. Okay? Like, we are loving life if we can get 10% return. Friends, when you talk about a hundredfold return, if I'm right, now, Jeff, you may have to pull out the calculator and double check me. I believe, I studied this week, I, I did some research. That is a 10,000% return. What? Spend your life 
Spend your time, your energy, your effort, the life of your children, the life of your grandchildren. Spend it all for 10% or give it to God for a 10,000% return on all that you put in. Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. That's the reward. So what do we do knowing that that's the kind of life that is out there? 10,000%. What do we do? Okay, I'll give you a couple things we'll be done. Number one, some of us this morning need to ask God to give us a new heart. Ask God to give us a new heart. Um, Here is the cool thing about God um, that he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And throughout the Old Testament, God um, takes the responsibility upon himself. And so he says to his people, I will gather you from the scattered nations. I will bring you back to me. And I will take your hearts of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And you will want to obey me. This is the promise of God. And you say, Jason, I don't even know. I just feel like I'm so hard to the things of God. I come to church and I, I hear the word of God and I just, I'm almost defensive about it. And I don't know what to do. I don't like it. I don't like it in me. Here's what you do. You ask God for a new heart. And, and some of you, maybe you've been in church your whole life, but somehow your heart is hard. I'm just saying, just God still answers that prayer today. Just say, God, I need a new heart. God, my heart is hard. I don't feel the way that I'm supposed to feel. I don't, I don't, I don't feel love and, and joy and, 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 and those kind of things that I feel like you feel. God, I want your heart. Please give me a new heart. God will still honor that prayer. He still gathers those that are scattered and wayward and brings them to himself and he gives them new hearts of flesh that beat for him. So ask God for a new heart, okay? Two, some of you here this morning, you don't need to ask God for a new heart, but you need to ask God to help you remove the boulders in your life. You say, Pastor, what are boulders? There's those things that are keeping the gospel from getting down deep into you, from affecting you. And guys, they're they're different for everybody. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes when sin really takes root, it's what I call a stronghold. And a stronghold is is, is some place in our life that really Satan just has complete control over. It's a driving motivational factor in our lives and and a lot of times we don't want to talk about those things. Um, Maybe it's worry it's a stronghold for a lot of people. They are so afraid. Some of them are afraid about finances and retirement. And so then you see and their whole life is spent chasing after money because they're so worried about being alone, about being poor, about being without. For some people, that stronghold is lust. Maybe at some point in their life, they never received love. And, and the only way they, they, they felt love ever involved some kind of sexual thing. And, and, and so I, I, just, I, I see marriage after marriage after marriage person after person after person, that um, their, their driving factor in their life is really a lust. It's a stronghold for them. Maybe you're here this morning and one of the boulders in your life is shame. You know what you've done and you don't feel like God could forgive you or should forgive you, right? Uh, you know, we're a big church. We have people in our congregation um, that uh, they've done a lot of stuff. One of my good friends, um, he struggles with, he, he, was in the, he was in the military, he's a sniper. It was his job, by order, to pull the trigger. 
That's what he had to do. And they were enemies. But the enemy uses that against him over and over and over. It's a boulder in his life. And, and I said, you know, I remember we had a, a breakthrough moment at small group one day where it just seemed like Jesus turned the line up. What do I do? What do I do? I said, okay, here's what you do. Ready? You know your job forever. It was setting your sights on a target, right? So we opened up to the book of Hebrews. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of life. I said, here's the deal. You're focusing on all the, the past. What you need to do is you need to set your, your scope, set your sights on Jesus. And if you'll keep your sights on Jesus, he'll take care of all the past, all the shame, all the hurt. Maybe it's failure. Here, here, I guess here's what I'm saying, guys. Boulders are, are kind of like baggage, right? And, and here's the thing about grace. Like, God's grace is amazing. And it will take you to places that you could never imagine, some of the most beautiful places on the face of the planet. But there is, there is one thing about God's grace. There is one thing about that, that trip that you take, that, that trip of grace, is you, you, can't, you can't fit your baggage on that trip. Like God's grace is greater than all the baggage that you have. And so, so that, that journey with God is a journey of grace. And God says, yes, come with me on this journey, but leave all your stuff behind. And then you'll experience life. Then you'll experience life, okay? And uh, I, I, I just want to encourage you. I know it can be a painful process, but some of us need to get those boulders out. And lastly, I would just say, uh, ask God to help you cut some things out. Even some good things. Even some good things. If your life is too crowded, this is the prayer you need to pray this morning. God, what what do I need to cut out? What, even if it's some good things, what what do I need to cut out so that you might be productive in me? Ten thousand.